Imagine a place that recognises children's need for personal autonomy and emotional safety so that children are re-empowered in the learning process and learn to trust their wild instincts. Well, such places really do exist and today I chat with the founder of Wildsong, Britt Laidlaw, about her business and the importance of mentoring in our culture and bringing back the village. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Kabi Kabi and the Gubby Gubby people. We honour their song lines and storylines and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which you are listening to this episode. Hey, hey, wild families. Welcome to the third season of the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host, Vicky Oliver, and all I can say is um, the little break that we've been able to have over the Christmas period has been very restful and very needed. And we are now back on board and excited to tell you all about the things that we have in store at Wildlings HQ for you over the next year. We have some exciting guests coming up on the podcast. We also have some exciting new programs and course material and other content for you. So if you would like to stay up to date with everything that's going on at Wildlings, make sure you're following us on socials. So um, Instagram's usually our playground, our social playground of choice. Um, You can follow us on Facebook, but you can also sign up for our newsletters. If you head to wildlingsforestschool.com, you'll be able to find out all about what's happening, keeping up to date with when our programs are being released, any new items that are coming up on the shop. We have so many exciting things in the works for 2022. But today on the podcast, I'm chatting with Britt from Wildsong. Now, Wildsong is a business that we have been following since it started, and I'm really excited to to chat. It's so nice to have this platform to be able to connect with all of the other amazing changemakers, honestly, around Australia and the world. But what I love about Brittany is that she's just dedicating her life to helping people um, and transforming their lives and reconnecting to the natural world and the wild parts of themselves. She's a rewilding mentor and somatic ecologist and accredited WIAPA practitioner, and she's had over 10 years' experience in leaning programs. She's also the co-founder of Wild Song, which is a social enterprise that offers nature-based programs for kids and adults and their families, and that serves as a catalyst for holistic well-being, and we love that, as well as cultural transformation. Now, alongside her business, she's also completing a pioneering PhD in ecosomatics, and I hope this interview brings some much-needed inspiration to start your 2022, brimming with possibility and fundamental change for the better. But it's better to hear it all from Brit. So here's our chat. So Brit, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome. How are you? Thank you so much. It's been a joy to be here. 
And uh, I'm really grateful to have a chat. I've been following you guys for a while and it's been nice to actually be invited to someone that's been a huge inspiration for us as a business and um, as a wider vision. So thank you. It's, it's, it is so nice to connect with other people. Like we've been following your, your wild song for, well, since you started really and watching you go from strength to strength. And I want to come back to this about the unique way that your, your business is, because it's, that's what I love about nature play businesses. They are all very unique. Like we all bring something really different because your background's really different as well. So let's start by explaining to everyone about you, uh, how you created Wild Song and, and your background so that we can have a bit of context to start with. Sure. So my background in Nature Connection, I always say that it started when I was a kid myself growing up in Western Australia. Um, I was really lucky that my mum was a bit of a surf bum <laughs> compared yeah, nice. to, compared, compared not not um, not lazy or anything. We were up at that dawn, crack of dawn every mm. weekend and off to surf lifesaving and we, we lived a very outdoor life. I think largely in part because we weren't really a wealthy family in that sense. We, we had our needs met, but we weren't a particularly wealthy family. So nature was free. You know, I I had a single mum with four children for most of my childhood. And so, and we didn't know any different. We thought it was great. And so my love of nature came from being at the ocean and at the beach all day. And my dad, my mum and dad who were separated, but my dad was um, of New Zealand origin. So Uh very, very into camping and bushwalking. And I've still got it in my head today. Um, something that my dad said to me when I was younger. He said, I I won't have a daughter who doesn't know how to put up a tent. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that is true and then some. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that I, I, I think that played such a role in my life more so than I give it credit to often. Yeah. And it's something that's come into my mind recently, having worked a lot with kids through our business Wild Song and reflecting back on those moments in my life which have shaped where I am today. And I think that that relationship with nature that I developed at such a young age um, really, really played a big role in that. So on a more professional level, which was birthed out of that upbringing, Mm. um, I grew up as a dancer. I loved to move my body. Ah. And I was performing and doing all those kind of um, performing arts things and was on the trajectory. I ended up even going to a performing arts university, but decided I wanted to, you know, explore the world a little bit more. So I decided to leave Perth and um, leave behind a little bit of my dance stuff just to kind of park it. Mm. And what when I travelled, I went to overseas to, uh, to Canada and became a wildlife guide and um, then got really involved in environmentalism and came back to study, got involved in permaculture and all of that whole world really yeah. opened up to me of nature connection, um, of well-being through nature connection, of you know ecological design and exploring how we can reintegrate ourselves back into nature as a foundation for our culture. Um, so that was that big chapter. and. Yeah. What was the shift for me in bringing it kind of um, where I am now is I was um, working a lot in the environmental field uh, and I had what uh, I call my breakdown breakthrough moment. Yeah. And I remember, I was actually just explaining this the other day, I remember I read a book called Call to the, the, the Cathedral of the Wild by Boyd Varty and this book was about um, a young boy in South Africa in in essence, he grew up on a game reserve that his parents bought and and 
ended up investing their lives into to turn it into a sanctuary for a lot of the wildlife there. And, you know, they started from a tin shed and grew to a beautiful luxury eco-retreat that raises, you know, millions of dollars to invest back into the landscape. But it's his story that captured me about his intimate relationship with the landscape and tracking animals and what it was to be a wild human again, really. That's, it's so, it spoke so deeply to something inside of me. And what happened after that was my big breakdown breakthrough because despite the fact that I was working in environmentalism and particularly at the time was working in permaculture, there was still this mentality of, you know, our ideals, our design is in from a human-centric, egocentric point of view yeah. that is overlaid on top of the landscape. And, you know, my my soul knew that there was some level of separation there. There was still some level of um, humans and nature are separate. Mm-hmm. And even, even from a permaculture background, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there was all of my own personal um, embodied stuff as well, like from my own personal history and previous traumas and blah, blah, blah. But it culminated into this point of when the soul, my soul said to me, it's time to really unpack this because you're almost there. You're so close. And dance had a really big role to play in that because I remember um, craving to really be in my body again. And that book spoke so deeply to that, you know, speaking about, wasn't Mm. speaking directly to that, but it really cultivated this idea of, you know, people in Africa, they're so embodied and dancing and it's so yeah. part of their culture and how it's an aspect of their relationship to nature. So it was from that experience that I came back to Australia because I was overseas at the time and began to invest myself in um, exploring more embodied relationships with the landscape from a much more deeply rewilded perspective. And I say that as in there's this complete integration of nature and culture of my my full ecological identity is coming online um, through my body. And that ended up leading me to the world of bushcraft and survival skills and rewilding, which I met an amazing mentor, Claire Dunn, when I was in Melbourne, who kind of really was a pivotal mentor for me in, in leading me down that path. And I ended up alongside that taking a bit of an academic route too and looking at how um, dance and movement and, you know, that previous passion of mine can be integrated into my now love of nature and nature connection. And I wrote my thesis on how dance and ceremony and movement is is a powerful way to connect and communicate with the landscape. And now that's led to a PhD um, I love that. Yeah, which is just so, and it's called ecosomatics that f- that field, which is yeah. you know, understanding our relationship with place and with the landscape through our bodies. You know, it's it's our bodies that inform that. So, so that's my journey in a in, in, in a nutshell. Yeah, you know what speaks to me the most about that, just from my like I've got my I'm going big picture here, but mm. is how people can find what they truly passionate about and it can be so niche like mm. we think about where you know our purpose and careers and all of that sort of thing and when we talk to children about their options in life you know it really feels like you know doctor lawyer nurse teacher um you know and you've got all these traditional ways to be in the world and i absolutely adore hearing people who have just 
like I'm, you know, you, you wouldn't, I, I don't know anyone else that has, you know, incorporated all of those things that you have and then lives a, such a purposeful and thriving life. Like it's, <laughs> it's so inspiring. So I love that. And I love being able to give more examples to people of stepping outside the box and really going for something that's so untraditional. Mm, absolutely. It's funny that you should say that because I remember even years prior and, you know, to many even permaculture would seem like quite an alternative path, but now mm. it's a bit more popular um, or even regenerative agriculture and things like that. And I remember being on that path and kind of progressing and making big career goals and I'd, I had my undergrad under my belt and I did, a, I did a workshop in a lot of these bushcraft skills. I remember it was just a one-off workshop in deep ecology and rewilding and something woke up inside of me. Something mm. was like this. But I remember it's kind of almost like I had that cultural voice in my head, which I'm sure a lot of young people feel, oh, you know, you can't do that or there's no career yeah. in that or whatever it is, this conditioning that, you know, that won't work or, you know, I don't know if there's, a, that's, there's money to be made there or whatever. Yeah. And I wish, you know, it's perfect. All, my journey was perfect. But I yes. do reflect on that moment as going, wow, you know, it took me, it took me probably five years later to realize, no, I can do this and now mm. I am and loving it. But it's a perfect example of, you know, how much that can influence what we do in life and really the options are absolutely endless, especially yeah. in today's world. That's exactly right. So tell me a little bit more about Wildsong. How did you decide to create your programs and mm. um, tell me why Wildsong is unique? Mm. So I have had visioned for many years to have my own um not necessarily educational place, but just a, a place to connect with people and share skills and come together as community. It had always been a big part of my vision and I wasn't sure how it would look. And I was also quite passionate about business. So I knew that that was a big part of how I um, I wanted, I loved the idea of social uh, enterprise or sustainable yeah. enterprise and and how that could be a possible pathway to regenerative culture. So uh, a few years ago, um, I was with my then partner at the time and um, I was kind of well down this rabbit hole of all my bushcraft skills and training and wasn't at the, at the stage probably of being able to share or fe feeling confident to share, um, although I felt really comfortable in nature, really comfortable with guiding people out there. And I introduced, it was a... Um, a tracking workshop that Tom Brown Jr., who's a big na world, uh, name in this kind of world of uh, bushcrafts and survival skills, he's kind of the grandfather of this movement really, mm -hmm. came to Australia and my partner then did a workshop um, and we did it together and he, his mind was blown <laughs> and something's the same thing. There's the same like shift happened in him of waking up of like, oh, my God. And I see this all the time now when I teach fire as a workshop um, or, you know, even teaching it to kids and you see their eyes light up and it's like, yep, there it is. That's that yeah. kind of ancestral DNA waking up. And uh, so after this experience, um, he really had a deep dive into all of this work and particularly found a passion for children. And I'd worked mm -hmm. with kids a lot over my life and had a very strong passion for how we relate to kids um, through my work. And I was doing a lot of that in my permaculture and nature connection career, doing kind of environmental education work. 
And so we came to a point a few years into his experience of really coming, completely coming back online after a few years of lethargy and dissatisfaction with the world and discovering this nature connection for himself. We thought, you know, why don't we actually turn this into something together? Mm. Um, and when we when we ummed and ahed about it, because my at the time my then experience was working more with um, young adults and adults. So I was running university yeah. courses and things at the time. But here, this passion for kids, and so we thought, no, you know what? I think starting with the kids is really important because it connects the whole community. And it's a real, and you know, it's starting with the roots almost. It's like tending to the roots, and I, I do believe that the way that we treat our young people and our old old people or our elders is a real reflection of how we're doing as a culture. 100%. And so, you know, my personal experience, I didn't have at the time much with a lot of elders and the way we relate to old people, but I loved working with kids, and so did my um, business partner, Calum. So we thought, well, that's that's a place to start. If we're really going to look at how we tra- how we transform as a culture, I think this is a really important part of it. And so that's how Wild Song began. And we started with a bush school and this uh, a little um, a nature mentoring program we've called it. Yeah. We started calling it a bush school, but then we wanted to veer away from this idea of school and move yeah. towards much more of a mentoring model. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> We've been down this rabbit hole. With yeah, yeah. Language. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what I love to share most about when we started Wild Song. just to give you an idea, now we've got about um, 90 kids in the program mm-hmm. and we've got th- uh, we're running four, four days a week and looking at running potentially more next next year and a plethora of school holiday programs and camps and things like that. But our first um, program that we ever ran, we had five kids rock up to the young group and two kids rock up to the older mm. kids group. And we made a commitment. I remember Caleb and I, we just said, even if we have one kid sign up, one family, we're going to run it and we're committing to this thing for the term. And no matter, no, no, only if two kids are here for the entire term, we're fully here. Mm. And I think that was such a powerful um a powerful reason, really, and a powerful intention why we're where we are now because over that term um, we grew, you know, it was two kids and then it became four and then it became seven and now and then we yeah. had to cap it and we got like, tw- you know, at one point we had yeah. 23 kids and we're like, okay, we've got to bring it down to 15 <laughs> so yeah, we can be more manageable. Exactly. And it's that word of mouth. Like we're mm. that powerful. Like we we were talking to, we were doing some high level talking with accountants and, you know, all these financial advisors at the moment. But um they, they, they say, like, point out, you know, we don't spend a lot in marketing because we mm. don't need to because that word of mouth is so powerful. Absolutely. And we have a little, even on our um, form when people sign up for our programs, we have a little question that says, how, how did you find out about us? Mm. And, you know, it's important for us to know where to, you know, where do we put our time to connect with people that um, haven't heard about our program yet? And we realised it's all word of mouth. It's yeah. families talking as well. And we thought, okay, well, that's really nice to know that, um, we're, we're developing a real strong, really strong village, and that's something that's um, inspired us to invest more in how do we continue to give to our village because that's obviously where the biggest impact for our marketing is coming from. Yeah, absolutely. So, talk to me a little bit about the village then, because that's something that we value highly. So, mm. why was bringing back the village an important thing for you? 
Well, I think personally, um, this model, like we have, a, we have a specific camp, like a family camp that we do mm. that tries to actually bring this village model back. And it's something that I've experienced working for other organisations and mentors of mine, like Nature Philosophy and Blue Gun Bushcraft and who have ran family camps and kind of doing this similar thing. But we wanted to bring back this village model because what I see in, in our communities is these kind of isolated um, family networks that are really struggling to make it work and make all the, you know, keep all the balls in the air. Mm. And what happens is, is parents often end up really stressed, really overworked, really um, overwhelmed and unable often to be present with their kids in the ways that they want to be. You know, it's, I don't think that, you know, we've got, we've got challenges with the way that um, we relate to young people. And I don't think it's a lot of the time out of, because that's, you know, that's the way that we want to relate. I think people are so stressed out and exhausted and, and overwhelmed yeah. that we're in, you know, we're not showing up as the best, most present version of ourselves um, to offer those kids the kind of mentorship and emotional support and all those things that we would mm. like to. And so, and what happens on the other side is the kids, because they've only often got their parents or maybe if they're lucky, older brothers and sisters or aunties or uncles that are close in their, close in their family unit, um, but often they miss out on a diverse range of mentors and positive role models in their lives that, that they can kind of you know, come under the wing of and train and observe because humans learn so much from doing rather than, you know, being yeah. told. We learn way more through the body than through our mind. And so even just having another person present that inspires them that is often not their, uh, not their parent because there's this weird biological thing that happens that I think we listen to our parents a lot less than, yeah. <laughs> than we listen yeah. to other people. Yes, that, that is exactly my experience <laughs> with my children sometimes. Right. Yeah. And I think for me those little markers um, – uh, are not a sign of like, yeah, they can be frustrating, but those little markers that go, why is it that my ki my kids won't listen to me, but they'll listen to, you know, this mentor or this uncle or this auntie. And it's not because the, the child is wrong or a problem child or there's an issue. There's actually intelligence in that. Mm. There's some biological wisdom in that. And this is where I get really nerdy about it and go, well, what is, what is that actually showing us? Yeah. And what I think it's showing us is that we're lacking this village model which, which, um, in which this really important role of mentors had a place in. And within that village culture, it was often the mentors that took the kids out for these big, amazing adventures that kind of had these children be apprentices in many ways to them and they would locate through their observation what is this unique skill, what is this unique talent and passion within this person just based on how they relate and how they go through mm. their day and what they're drawn to. And they, those mentors nurture that and they go out and have these amazing, you know, playtime and, and adventures and they come back and, the, and their parents are there to catch their stories, which is such a pivotal part of it. And the parents have had the day to relax, or you know, they might they now might have spent time with other children's, um, and so there's this there isn't this same need because you know, often when you're relating to other kids, there's you know there's the nervous system also relaxes a little bit. That's another biological mm. little marker. And but what happens is that they because they've had 
a bit more time to relax and space to, you know, do what needs to be done in the village from a, from a different perspective, they're able to be present to catch the stories. And so everyone feels really heard and happy. You know, I think of even coming back in the evening time and you have, you know, how it used to be potentially when we lived in this kind of village-based lifestyle, it was the elders that then told the campfire stories that offered those little seeds of contemplation for the whole village, not just the children. So, yeah, this this village model, I think, is if we're going to overcome this model of separation at a social and ecological level, we've got to think about how we are relating to as a community. And the village model is a place where everyone is valued for their unique talent, their unique role that they have to play, every age and every, um, you know, role that everyone plays is equally valued. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm really, I would love to see more of and that's what we're really working towards with Wildsong. You know, we don't have the perfect thing where we all live together and that kind of, that has its own challenges as well yeah. because of, what, you know, the, what we've grown up in. But at least we can kind of emanate a little bit with this idea of, um, you know, even the way we we relate to kids, we want them to come to come to Wildsong and feel like we are their uncle or auntie. You know, there is that level of love there and that level of care and support, very similar to how their parent would offer it to them. And it really matters. It really it makes such a huge difference. We've seen that already. You have just encapsulated that. I just don't think I've ever heard anyone capture it as perfectly as you have just now. <laughs> like it, it, you really have hit the nail on the head and it's it's so different to any other relationship that a lot of a lot of children will experience like you say parents are completely different teachers again it's, mm. it's author like as much as many teachers and we, and we try our hardest when we're in those you know in schools to be a good role model and a mentor, but it is still an authoritarian relationship and there's marking and assessment and that's what I love about what we do and what you do is that there's, there's none of that. It's just mm. being, it's, it's you know, you're there because you want to be, not because you have to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and my hat is off to teachers as well because, and we've had teachers in our program and people that I know in yeah. this kind of community too that they've got a they've got a tough gig as well, you know. So that, that that model that we have of education doesn't doesn't serve anybody. And there's people that are totally making it work and rocking it. And absolutely. my hat is absolutely off to them. But um, yeah, I, I get really curious, and I don't know the answer to this. I get really curious about that idea of you know being tested. And I think mm. there's I think it's different to healthy challenge. There's a lot of fruitfulness yes, that can come from healthy challenge. But that idea of assessment, and I, th- I have this instinct that it's linked with how we consider our worthiness of love mm. or our worthiness of care or of appreciation or things like that. You know, when there's this idea of assessment brought in where, you know, we're, we're marked against this criteria and if we don't make that criteria then, you know, people may be disappointed in us and we yeah. feel unworthy or we don't feel, you know, we feel shameful or whatever. Where Whereas in this kind of more mentoring model, yes, there is healthy challenge and, and yes, there still may be disappointment, but it's related to in a very different way because you're caught by this um, model of relating where connection and, and the idea of loss of connection is never, is never you know, on the line. 
type of thing. Mm. Connection and love is always available on tap. There's nothing that is going to make that go away or be less than yeah. no matter no matter if, you know, you don't jump across the ledge and make the swinging rope or whatever, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's and it's all internalized, you know. You you do the things, you challenge yourself to the to the extent that you need to. That's what I even, you know, when I'm out in the in nature, it's always that challenging myself within my boundaries and my capabilities. And when I achieve something, no amount of someone telling me how good I am at it mm. trumps that internal feeling of achievement. Absolutely. And that's a big part of like even just the way that we do mentoring. There's a model of mentoring that we do called coyote mentoring that came that's from. part of my next question. Oh, so great. Tell us about coyote style mentoring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, well, it's kind of touches on what you said is that the most um, beneficial type of learning, like what you had out there and that through that healthy challenge, there's no amount of external validation that trumps that internal feeling of, yeah, I did it, and fulfillment that comes with that. And that's a little bit of what Coyote Mentoring tries to tap into and tries to encourage and recognizing that the most beneficial way people learn and gather a sense of fulfillment and connection um, from relating to the natural world isn't through being told, isn't through that external validation or external um, criteria or curriculum. It's led through their own embodied process, their own embodied um, learning that sometimes takes longer and that's okay. So an example of this, you know, we, when we're out in the bush, if a child loves the sound of this bird that's singing along, um, we won't actually say what that bird is. Or if a child asks us a question, will respond often with another question. Oh, I don't know what time of day is it? Maybe it's maybe it's calling for lunchtime. Or did you see what color it was or how big was the bird? And instead of robbing them from their own embodied inquiry, we're placing that um, that sense of learning in their own hands. And the big thing is if they don't follow it through, it doesn't matter. Exactly. That clearly isn't their passion. So why do we want why would we push something that they're clearly not interested in? That doesn't that's not a thing. Yeah. And the beauty is is when you do find something that they love, like we had this, oh my God, it touched my heart. It made me cry mm-hmm. so deeply because it was, you know, so much of this stuff we've learned and had powerful learning experiences of and as an adult. But when you put them into action and then you see the results from the kids, it just lights you up. It's like, oh, this is, this is real. And one of those came from this perfect model of coyote mentoring with this experience of the bowbird. And we've just moved to this new site that we've been operating at in the Byron Bay Shire. And one of the young, actually two of the young boys who are really into photography found a bowbird nest. Oh, and wow. they decided to make it on make it a project to do a full photography project on this bowbird nest and they got so into it and the mentors picked up that little thread picked up that thread of of that moment in time of going ah this is a moment of you know that we can build on here for developing deep relationships with this place and they encouraged the the boys to journal it down to draw it and then all of a sudden we had the whole community of kids writing stories about the bowbird, drawing Mm. pictures. Um, And now we've got this initiative within the Wild Kids program, which is a program that we run in Wildsong. 
um, called the Bowbird Conservation Unit because these young kids got so into it that they wanted to invest time in learning more about the bowbird and can seeing if we can, you know, participate in conservation of the bowbird. And so they started hiring people within the, within the <laughs> mentors included of going, all right, you're the chief conservation officer. Okay, you're the chief habitat surveyor. And, and that's the power of, you know, now these, these young kids know heaps about the bowbird. And had we gone, okay, today the bowbird is on the curriculum and done it from a very mechanistic point of view of ticking the boxes, I don't think we would have seen the same results. So that's, that's kind of coyote mentoring in action. Is I love that story. Mm. So, and, and it does, it's, it's just, it, it gives you goosebumps. And when you see it in action, it's, it's almost like sometimes like you have to take a step back and you're like, is this really happening? Because <laughs> all my experience of learning and my conditioning doesn't look like this. And yeah. this, and it's making me feel something that I, I've never felt in my own learning journey when it was, like you said, very mechanical Mm. when you watch someone naturally unravel an interest and take it somewhere and, like, become these citizen scientists, mm. like, there's just nothing like it. There's nothing like feeling like that as a as a professional and in our role and our purpose to feel like you have somehow facil- facilitated in that. And it wasn't because you told them to do it. It was just providing that time and space and and support. Absolutely. And to even loop back to what we were talking about earlier with kind of modelling all the options mm. of what, what children can pursue in their life as a fulfilling career or a fulfilling, you know, sense of purpose in their life from what they, what they do. I get so excited about this kind of new model of education or mentoring because I know as a kid for myself, and I'm sure that there's, again, amazing teachers and and things being put into schools out there that are trying to change this. But what I noticed from my experience at school is that I came out out the other side of school thinking I was actually quite dumb. And I I didn't do bad in school. I was, I loved dancing. I really invested myself in dancing. Um, And so I didn't really, you know, and I didn't score well in science and this and that. I loved writing. But there was things about my experience at school that had me come out the other side going, I'm actually not that very smart. So I will, I will invest in dancing. And it was kind of a bizarre experience when I ended up going to university and I I was, you know, enrolling in something that I actually quite enjoyed. And I got, you know, 100% sometimes on the exam yeah. and I was getting HDs and I thought, wait a second, I thought I was dumb. Yeah. And it was a really interesting experience to now think about or consider in what we do at Wildsong because I think that that more traditional style of education because there is certain subjects that you are, you know, that you have to do in another part of the curriculum, if your specific passion or innate talent doesn't fit into one of those, you know, a child might come out the other side thinking that they don't belong, that they're, you know, not very smart or they're not um, worthy, they're not good enough, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas in this kind of coyote style, which is so diverse in terms of um, p- potentials for kids to, of of topics and passions for kids to pursue. Every single one is considered as worthy in this in this model. Absolutely. And you know, if they're interested in bowbirds, or if they're interested in fire, or if they're really fascinated with the maths of how things come together at a, a, a you know 
whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I can't think of a mathematical example. Oh, no. but... <laughs> there's, there's plenty. There's plenty. There's plenty. There's plenty. You know, or writing poetry about what mm-hmm. they see out there. We've got these kids. Oh my god! That we do something at the end of the day. We have a nature journaling practice, mm-hmm. and for the older kids, you know, sometimes they're invited to go out to their sit spot or their special spot. We call it, which is a their spot of deep listening to their internal and the external ecology. And for the older kids, we often, you know, invite them to come back and express that in a creative way. So like poetry and story and some of the things that these kids share is unbelievably beautiful. And so because of that diversity or that celebration of diversity in what we're all uniquely impassioned about, I think through that through that kind of model of mentoring or of education, we might see kids actually, you know, pursuing pursuing all sorts of things without this cultural conditioning of I'm not worthy or that's not good mm. enough or whatever that it might be. Hold value. Yeah, that, exactly. That thing doesn't hold value, and I find I think that that's a really common theme. Like for me, you know, um, studying drama, they were like, really you want to do drama like you you like you know I was the opposite and I was really academic they're like mm. I don't know like that would be a waste of your talent that would be mm. a waste of your brain and I'm like but what like and so for me I didn't I, I then like that conditioning I don't value the arts I don't value like other things that aren't chemistry and maths and not that I did chemistry but like you know that's that's what society told me was important mm. that was valuable that's what you know the, the most valued members of our society all think that these subjects are the ones you need to know about. And that is not, you know, 37 years later in my life and I look at what I value and what our society values and it's there's infinite, re, you know, ways in which we value mm. people and their contribution and I want more children to feel that way. I want more children to come out the other side and know that. Absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's been a huge driver in our in our love of village and wanting to recreate this idea of a contemporary village. Because one of the pillars, I believe, of of true village is that everyone is valued mm. for their uniqueness, for their you know, for the diversity that they bring. And um, you know, if something isn't valued in our culture, what that often translates to is I'm not valuable. You know, exactly. in that circumstance, if you were interested in drama, but they said, oh, that's a bit of a waste of your talent, that is communicating, okay, drama's not that valuable in our society, but what if you love drama? Yeah. What, if you're, what if it's the only thing in the world that lights you up? Therefore, if I don't, if, if you know, if I, if I want to do drama, then I'm not valuable. Exactly. And that's the last thing that we want, you know, with our, ki- our kids growing up with. And I think it's why we end up with a lot of the issues that we see, not just with young people, with, you know, either yeah. youth at risk or, you know, all sorts of things that happen to our kids when they grow up with this mentality through their teenage years, but also adults. There's so many adults that are still hanging on to this story Absolutely. that I'm not valuable, I'm not yeah. good enough. Yeah, exactly. And it's a hard one to break through as an adult, you know, mm. like it's so hard to recondition, rewire and uh, reinvigorate people's way of thinking um, mm. at an at an elder. I mean, it's not impossible, absolutely not impossible. It's a lot harder. Yeah, it is a lot harder. It's funny that you should say that because it's often when, when we have family camps, the kids absolutely love it. And in this village model, it's often the parents that end up kind of falling apart and um, yeah. and falling apart in a good way because in a good they way. 
yeah, they hit that wall of grief of like, oh my God, this is how this is how good it can be. Yeah. Or I can't believe we've been doing it this other way for so long. And and that that wall of grief is really natural. And also people have the up, other thing where they've had such an experience of, you know, this, you know, the mainstream kind of cultural upbringing that we all have, and they go to living a village and it's really triggering. It really brings up yeah. all of their stuff. And and so, yeah, it's often the, the parents and the adults, like the even the mentors that are there, that have that clunkiness of having to realign a lot of the things, whereas the kids, they're just like having the great time. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There's the best place in the world. Yeah, yeah. So good. Um, All right, from a business perspective, what would you say is been some of the hardest parts or things that you might have, you wish you'd had help with? Mm. (laughs) Because it's challenging. (laughs) Yeah, it is challenging. Well, I suppose I would would give myself permission for going much slower than I, and because I'm such a fast pace, I'm like, okay, I want the website up. Our website has taken a year to put put online. (laughs) And so I wish I had a mentor that said, you know, it's actually going to be more beneficial for you to go slow and to build that community. Whereas in, I wanted it super fast and I wanted to have, you know, five days a week and all all that. And what that led to was a lot of um, burnout or internal pressure or the sense of urgency. That was my own, you know, that was my own creation. Yeah. um, And what could have, and I think it really took me out of, you know, thankfully I caught that. And and my business partner has been great in that because he's much more of a slow and steady kind of um, character. It's good to have balance in business partnerships. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> We've had really great balance in terms of the way we complement our skills and our energy, which has been awesome. But yeah, I would probably tell myself to avoid that kind of burnout. But you go, it's all part of the learning. It is. That's that's what I wish I had have known is that actually what builds a sustainable business and the key part of it is that you are actually sustained within it. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Is the, the the slow and the slow build, and it kind of reminds me of you know building a fire, mm. and it's very exciting to build this big bonfire that this raging and it warms a lot of people, but often they burn out much quicker, and you end mm. up with this big pile of ashes. Whereas in you know, and then everyone walks away, <laughs> and then, and you know, instead of actually co- um, consciously participating in this slow building of the fire by adding log upon log, and allowing the village to build at that pace, and 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 the, not only the fire gets sustained, but also the people are sustained within it, the business owners and the community included, and it grows really naturally. So that's something that I wish I had of embodied probably much earlier in the business it's so funny when I say that like what's the hardest part but it's it's just that reflective thinking and I think it's always helpful to for other people to hear about that too Mm. like you know that we all have things that like our challenges that we need to work through and that when we look back we go ah you know if I'd have done it this way then maybe I would have achieved it in a different way but at the same time I wouldn't have learned that lesson either so Mm you know, they are, they are our greatest lessons. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. And like we've had our um we've had our challenges with 
you know, things that just happen from being in a nature, nature business mm. as well, you know, all the outdoor and with floods and fires and yeah. Yeah. like, but you kind of adapt and I feel like they're, you know, that's all part and parcel of it. So that's okay. Yeah. Um, and things that felt like really big challenges at first after a while, you're like, you know, we used to get so scared about cancelling a program if it was like torrential weather or whatever, or like having to make the call on the weather and now it's just like, you know what, if if it, we're going to cancel, just cancel. Like mm. it's not so much of a big decision anymore. It used to feel really heavy and now it's like it's fine. We know how to, we know what we're doing. We know how to do this. We can make the call either way and we're okay with it. Um, and that's just with time and experience that feels so much more easeful. <laughs> I don't even think that's a word. Easy. Yeah. The other thing that I would say, and it's not something that gets talked about much, and I don't know if this was the right model at all, but it just it's just what we ended up doing, mm. is that my business partner and I, Calum, decided because of the model of um, the model that we're employing with our mentoring style, it's not necessarily a school in that we had two two mentors and then thirty kids. We wanted to. Um, have enough mentors in our program that you didn't, the kids didn't miss out on those important one-on-one moments. Yeah. And so our child to adult ratio is quite small in that we have a lot of mentors on for the number of kids that we have. And which meant that obviously our um, our costs were a lot higher because we're paying our mentors More wages. Stuff. Yeah. So we we decided for the first six months to get the business off the ground, we actually didn't pay ourselves. As, yeah, no, um, yeah, yeah, we didn't pay yeah. ourselves. Um, and, you know, to the outside world, it looked like we were doing great as a business. We had like 10 staff and all these things, and but we are working our butts off. But yeah. we at that point, we kind of made, we made a strong intention and said, all right, this is, this is the level of commitment that's required. This is what we thought we had to do at the time. Again, would I have done it differently? I'm not sure. Like that's, um, or was it perfect? But No. And I mean, like when Nikki and I are the same, like we probably didn't pay ourselves well for mm. two years. Like we, we paid ourselves when we could, but other t- uh, essentially we were investing all the money we were making back in the business and building yeah. it. But, you know, looking back, I don't know that we could have done it any other way mm. to, to build the way that we did and to work around the lifestyle that we also chose to lead at the same time. And, and sometimes it's just the necessary investment that time and money investment that you need in order to get it to where you need it to be. It's true. And I think the like I've had, had heaps of people in the first year of our operating because one thing that we did see is, okay, it's really important to share a lot about what we're doing and build mm. our, build our sense of community both in person and online. And, you know, we we looked like we were killing it because we had our branding colours and our logo yeah. and we were doing everything online and sharing frequently and things like that. But we, you know, that's important to remind other people because they'd had people reaching out wanting to start their own mentoring <laughs> program. And I said, yeah, like it's, you know, it looks it looks high flying and things, but this these are actually the realities of yeah. you know, and we we, you know, were so passionate about it and we're so grateful to where it is, you know, it, it's all paid off. But that was the commitment that we made. We said, all right, mm-hmm. we're gonna run this program even if two kids show up and we're gonna run it for the first um, six months. And I think then we did we were paying ourselves, but not very well. And it's only really now that we've started to pay ourselves really well. Yeah. You know, that those are the kind of things that I don't think a lot of people hear about. 
um, and they require a bit more grit. <laughs> yeah, they do. And and also to not always make the assumption just because a business looks like it's thriving and doing well that 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 they're rolling in it. Mm. And also, but on a, on a side note to that, is that it's okay for businesses to do well and to, to make money too because I think that there's also this conversations that I've had with people lately too is about like, you know, oh, they must be making a huge amount of money. And then mm. I think to myself, well, well, maybe they should be making a huge amount of yeah, money. Good on them. They're, they're doing a lot of work and, you know, what else do you expect of people? Like you don't say that to the CEO of McDonald's or, you know, or of any of the big chains or Woolies and you go and gladly spend your money there every day. Um, you know, people are working hard to create something that's really, really important and they should be compensated for that time. Absolutely. I think to even echo that and add on when it comes to nature connection businesses and naturally, you know, when you're in the online space, you're always going to get feedback that isn't necessarily the nicest. Yeah. <laughs> um, and some of the, you know, we've had feedback before of like, how can you be charging people for, you know, playing outdoors or how can you be <laughs> yeah, charging people that. for nature-based skills and a lot of these skills, you know, connecting with the wild and building fire and all this type of stuff. How can you be charging for that? And, and how could you be charging that price? Yeah. And I think, well, you know, that that I just have had to let go because I thought, you know what, it, it's a it's a real marker of what we value in our mm-hmm. in our society. Yeah. And I I think investing in nature play for kids, investing in you know, really developing deep relationships, deep embodied relationships with our the country that we're from or our, you know, place that we call home and feeding ourselves from that land and making fire and connecting at a really sacred level. Like there is nothing more valuable than that. I'd pay, you know, enormous and amounts of money. Pay, and, and we do, right? Like was we do yeah. value that. Like it sounds like you've done heaps of like, you know, workshops and professional development in that. Like we do. We spend mm. money in those set spaces because we value it. It's true. It's true. So yeah, I'm. I get excited when I see other, like for example, you guys. You know, it's it's exciting to me to see what you've achieved, and with even with this podcast and your growing community and working in schools. And yeah, I'm sitting over here going, yes, let's <laughs> keep going. Because it's how we shift our whole. You know, it's not just about nature play. It's it's like as you say, it's shifting our whole mindset on what what we value as a community, what mm. we want to be spending our time. Because essentially. I think this is probably just my, but you know, we all earning money to support ourselves in order to release time. That's what we want. We want mm. that, that freedom. We want freedoms in, in lots of different ways, freedom to be able to support ourselves financially, to, to have time. So when people invest in us, uh, and also on another side note, what I find too is when people say that is that they don't actually go out and do it themselves either. So, yes, you could totally go out and do all these things for free. You could totally go out with a group of friends and do this consistently and learn it all yourselves. But what I can guarantee is that very few people action that. That's very true. Very few people follow through with that and and really invest. In, and what we tend to be and what I even love it for my family is accountability. It's mm. that, you know, we show up every week. We show up or we show up multiple times a week to 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 do what we value. Yeah, um, absolutely. You've got to pay for that in order to to make sure you do show up because otherwise life gets busy. Like you were saying earlier, people are busy and they're burnt out and there's just life's pulling us in a million directions. And sometimes even the stuff that we value deeply has to be pushed to the side. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, peeling back the layers and really looking at the reality, it's often those people that come with the criticism 
not only are they often not in the the arena themselves Mm -hmm. and know what it's like, but, you know, likely there's just a kid inside of them that got told that they were never valuable for their unique passion and thing that they wanted to pursue. So now they've got this inner resentment. So when, when when they see somebody else, you know, making making a life out of something that is, you know, so unique um, but exciting and, you know, lights them up, it touches on that sensitive point and it's like likely what spurs those kind of comments, um, which I can exactly. I can actually have compassion and understanding yeah, for. Yeah, and I, I think that's it too is this reframing um, where where those people are coming from and it is like exactly what you say and, and you know, I just, and it helps me to remember in myself too those moments where I'm like, cheering people on always Mm. cheering people I love to hear people succeeding and doing things that they love um and and if it does touch a nerve with me I like it's a great point of reflection to Mm. feel that way it's funny working with working with kids and doing a lot like investing a lot in the way that we mentor and um, developing as a professional in that area through you know taking on and learning about different styles of mentoring and ways that we can do better with how we relate to kids all of that uh, learning has actually supported my relationship with adults enormously. Oh, hasn't it? Because I realize, <laughs> because you know, I just I just was thinking about this idea that we have in our culture of the problem child. You know, the one yes. that is nasty and the one that just won't listen, or the one that's you know goes out of their way to be rude or to be cruel or to be what we mm-hmm. think is you know vindictive or whatever. And it's often the case that there's just a hurting human under there. And, you know, and what what they need is less separation. They don't need more separation and mm-hmm. more, you know, conflict or whatever. It's, it's actually needing someone to really lean in with compassion and understanding mm. and offer more connection and more love. Oh. Well, um, the children that are, at, you know, coming to your programs and are touched by all of the people that you also mentor are very, very lucky. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I feel very blessed. As I said, like they the the beauty of a mentoring relationship is that is the reciprocity in it mm, is that it flows it one is. flows both ways and i think that's the difference one of the big difference between that kind of teaching model is that it's very mm. one directional whereas that mentoring style um model is there's a reciprocity in it there's a natural give and take and and both are learning both are evolving both are growing together and there's been many, many times where we've had mentor meetings at the end of the day and mentors are deeply moved or, you know, yeah. they've been deeply. I've, I've had moments where, like, I've healed some of my, you know, childhood stuff mm. <laughs> because after a day of mentoring. I remember one, one incident in particular where there was a child that really needed um, support and love. They were displaying a lot of need for connection at home they had a new sibling, a new baby. Oh, and yeah. so there was a there was this desperate attempt for attention and um, they were kind of acting out. And so, yeah, uh, we recognised that and we knew that that was going on. And so as a mentor team, we kind of worked out a plan of how we come around, circle around this child and actually offer that support and that space of understanding and love. And in the, in the moment that I'm particularly thinking of, it was holding space for an enormous emotional expression. Mm. that often and it's not and this is the thing it's not that he came from a amazing home amazing yeah. home full yeah. of love it was just that same thing of you know the parents have another child to look out they've got all the other responsibilities and if we had this village model 
there would be a plethora of other adults or other caring, loving people in the community to hold mm. space where the parent feels that they're a bit, a bit stretched. And so, yeah, we were able to offer that. And I remember, you know, being really present and, um, and holding that space in the moment. But then when I came home at the end of the day, I had a huge emotional expression myself. And it was like, I thought about, oh my God, imagine if somebody did that for me when I needed it when I was a kid. Oh, and, um, and and so it's been, yeah, it's been deeply healing and, and powerful for us as a mentor team as well. It's definitely a reciprocity mm. there. So I feel very lucky to, to be doing what we're doing. It's, yeah. Oh, it's just everyone's winning. I love it. <laughs> Everyone's winning. That's it. That's the village. Everyone, everyone benefits. You know, if everyone, everyone does. Yeah. Everyone's valued, and everyone benefits, and so it great. all goes every ways. That's that. That's that ecological model in action, right? The village yeah. is essentially how do we model a community or a culture off nature? And I think oh, the yeah. village is it. I think so. You're exactly mm. right. All right, we're going to round out the interview just out. Little rapid fire questions. You mentioned one of the books earlier that was life changing, Cathedral of the Wild. I think is what you called yes. it. Yes. So I'd like to know then what your favourite book is at the moment, or a book that you've read that maybe our readers would be inspired by. Sure. So I am going through. I go through phases, but I'm mm. definitely deep in a in a little obsession <laughs> with yeah. Dr. Martin Shaw. So one of my personal passions that I actually discovered through this world of nature connection and I didn't even know existed until I discovered a chronic is storytelling. And I love embodied storytelling around the campfire. I actually have a specific memory of um, being invited to tell a story at at nighttime around the fire and, and, you know, not having any script or anything like that, just telling it. And it was the first time I'd ever done that out loud in front of people. And it was like this weird archetype of the storyteller came into my body and animated me in this storytelling practice. And everyone was coming up afterwards going, what, what, what happened there? That was incredible. Um, and so since then I've been, um, fascinated by the power of stories and what they can do within the human psyche. And Martin Shaw, Dr. Martin Shaw, that's his kind of complete forte. He's a mythologist and a storyteller. Uh And his book, um, he's written many books, but the one that I'm really loving and is on repeat on my Audible at the moment is Courting the Wild Twin. Uh And it says that in each, each and every one of us, we have this wild twin and oh, um, and he uses he draws from a few myths. One is the lindworm, and one is scatter something. Anyway, I can't remember the name of it, but um, it's another story. It's a different version of essentially about these two twin girls, and just the way he uses story to speak to deep levels of the human psyche. Uh, is so captivating to me. It's just, you know, there's within a couple of minutes I was just crying. And so Mm. he's written Courting the Wild Twin. And then there's another one that he's written just recently actually that I'm starting to um, listen to. And it dives into a lot of the themes around COVID and what we're all going through at the moment. Oh, cool. You know, he wrote that as a kind of response in some ways and it's called Looking to the Wild in the Time of the Spyglass. And he uses the spyglass from a story as an analogy of our relationship to social media and it's fascinating. So Dr. Martin Shaw, I'm totally having a fangirl moment. I'm going to put those in (laughs) Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes because I think people are always loving a recommendation. So that's awesome. 
Uh, at the moment, where are you going to go after um, to reset or after a rough day or when you need to reconnect? Mm. Well, I have a very special place down here. So I recently moved from northern New South Wales down to Tasmania. Mm-hmm. Um, love has taken me down here in both of the love of this landscape and also love of my partner. And when I landed here, it was a very new ecology. Um, I, I left because I'm running Wild Song from a distance and also restarting a lot of programs down here, so expanding the business down in Tasmania. But when I landed, I felt quite um, uprooted and, and lacking, you know, all of these relationships that I'd spent so much time investing with, with, um, in and not just in the human realm. I remember going, oh, I really miss this particular weaving fibre or I miss this, you know, this yeah. wild berry would have been fruiting right now. And I kind of felt like a fish out of water down here because in some ways, not in all ways, but in, in many ways, I felt like a bit of a stranger, like this was this foreign yeah. place. And to kind of divert quickly, it was a, I, you know, obviously this is, um, it's a much more extreme events in, in the circumstance of our history, but I did have a little bit of a glimpse into the idea of what um, Indigenous people or First Nations people in Australia, when they describe their country and, you know, just being picked up and put somewhere else and given land somewhere else, it's not the same. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely not the same. That like that place, your country, becomes, it is your blood, your bones, yeah. your kin. Um, it's so part of you. And I really felt that when I landed down here, like I was missing my kin. And so what saved me was a nature reserve that is just up the road from me. And um, there's this, it backs, it's on the, it goes into the coast. There's this wild reserve. And I started walking there every day. And I was actually listening. Some days I'd take my um, audible up and I'd listen to Dr. Martin Shaw as he read his book as a kind of elder to settle my nervous system. And that became my anchor point. And now, because it be kind of, it was kind of the net that caught me when I was down here. That's the place where I've started my practice. So I'm I'm up there every Friday, um, practicing fire, learning about the bush foods, and um, it's the place that I go. That you know, it it was it was a little invitation or kind of let, lent out a hand to me when I landed here and said, "You can make home here, and so I can cute. I can be your home here." So. Yeah, and it is, like it feels like a friend to me. So just that little nature reserve up the road was my saving grace and has become and is becoming more and more so like family because of that experience. Brilliant. Mm. Uh, If you could choose one thing you could change about the education system, Mm. what do you think that would be? Oh, one thing, so many things. I know. um, Every time someone answers this, I'm like, yes, that. Yes, "Yes, that. that. I know. Well, just I think just to keep it simple. Um, actually, I would. I'm trying to think of a more meta perspective because there's lots of little things like in terms we've yeah. discussed today. You know, even just injecting more nature time and that coyote style of mentoring in there. Yeah. But I think from a more meta perspective, if we could model our education more off the ecology mm. and use use country or use the ecology and how things work on that level to support thriving as a model for how we do education, I think that could tick many of the boxes because, you know, that ecological model values diversity, values yeah. the unique role that every single plant and animal and mycelium and all sorts of things plays 
and encourages that diversity for the whole system to thrive. So I think if we could use that model of nature and what and that and the wild the wild as the model for the education, I think that would that would see a very amazing outcome. Brilliant. Well, Britt, and for our listeners, we haven't even touched on other stuff that Britt does with her rewilding stuff that you do and your women's mm. um, camps and stuff like that. So you should definitely check Wild Song out. And do you have another Instagram account for that as well, or is that all under Wild Song? So at the moment, it's under Wild Song, which is our yep. adult programs, the women's work. Um, yep. And I'm launching a new business down here, which, you know, for when, depending on when people listen to this podcast, and it's called Nature Culture, which, you know, is basically or builds on all the principles and that we've been talking about here. And it's yeah. how do we create a culture um, that is completely integrated and modelled from nature. And so Nature Culture is that. It's at natureculture.co. There won't be anything, you know, there isn't anything at the moment there because we're <laughs> very at the beginning. But um, that is going to be integrating a lot of those rewilding skills as well as, you know, deep soul work in nature and village village work. It's the difference between what I'm doing down here in Tassie at the moment with nature culture is we're doing it long form. And what I mean by long form, instead of having these kind of weekend workshops, which are great and really cool little ways to build community and connection, but there's a real power that comes from being with an, an intimacy really that comes from with being in the same place with the same group of people for a long yeah. time. It's, it's that sense of village. Yes. And so the journeys that we're running down here are six months long. Wow. Um, and you're not out there for six months, but you're um, in the wild one weekend a month and having little check-ins and catch-ups and things like that um, oh, on a regular a basis. Idea. So, yeah. Ah, oh, well, all the best with that. I, I can't wait to follow along and... I love watching Brit. She's always out um, making fires or sleeping in shelters <laughs> that she's created herself. It is so inspiring. So talk about your your dad feeling like you could pitch a tent that you have done and then some, you could survive. Uh, many a night, I can assure you, probably out in the world. It's so cool. Um, definitely oh. someone to follow and be inspired by. So Wild Song, is on, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook as well. Uh, yes, we are, and our, our our website has just been completed, which is exciting. I just um, looked so at wild, it; it's beautiful. Yeah, wildsong.org. We're in the um, we're in the kind of beta testing stage of making sure that all of our links work and everything yeah. comes online before we share it with our community. But I imagine by the time everyone listens to this, because we're launching in January two thousand and twenty-two, it'll cool. all be perfect. So, yeah, yeah, wildsong.org is the place where you can find that too. And if you're in the Northern Rivers area and you're looking for a way for your children to connect in nature, then you should definitely check them out. They run programs in, is it Broken Head? We run Broken Head and South Golden. And yep. we're actually in conversation about starting some more branches up near um, kind of Lismore community, Nimbin community way. Oh, cool. um, and so, yeah, just naturally and organically growing based on where where people are popping up and wanting to lead it and um, as our mentor team grows so yeah I'm excited to 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 witness that happen but for the for the interim for the immediate term we've got those two sites and brilliant um, yeah excellent all right well thanks so much for your time today Brit. it has been such a pleasure to connect with you even though it's just on the airwaves oh thank you so much again for the conversation it's been so easy and 
mm. so nice just to converse with someone who is such similar vision and values and I'm just cheering you on. <laughs> I'm in so grateful. Yeah, yeah. Good. It's so grateful to be oh, in this community with you. It and really is. Thank you for inspiring many other people oh. as well. I know that you're doing great work with supporting people to start their own nature connection businesses so it's just so exciting I feel like we're at this pivotal time just (laughs) to look back to you know what we were talking about outside of the recording at a time when you know things could really be spiraling down um, businesses that are getting people connected out out in the you know out in the wild and connected to those roots that what what actually really grounds us Mm. Um, and to see those businesses really thrive is exciting it's like oh yes this is you know yeah, we're in, a, we're in a really challenging situation in many ways now, but it's how can we turn this into an opportunity? Exactly. And one of the most exciting ones is that we're all turning back to nature. That's exciting. It is. <laughs> oh, you've nailed it. So good. Oh, thank you so much. Mm, thank you. Really appreciate it. As I said at the start of the podcast, I absolutely love that we can connect with such amazing people like Brit. If only it was as easy to catch up in real life and that's something I'm really looking forward to doing as soon as domestic and international movements become easier for us all. But just before I go, I have a quick little reminder that if you would like to help support the production of the Raising Wildlings podcast, you can do that as a monthly patron over at our Patreon um, page. Um, the website is patreon.com, spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Raising Wildlings. And your contribution there helps us to continue having conversations and sharing the stories and experiences of change makers around the world. Your support of our cause is appreciated beyond measure. So to all of our current patrons, thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. So that has been another episode sharing the wisdom of our Collective Nature Business Network and I hope you all enjoyed it. So until next time, stay wild. Thank you.